Hello, the Digital Journey community. Hope your week is off to a great start. We're here bringing you another episode, continuing to share real experiences from real operators to help you identify how technology can improve your business. And as always, I've got my right-hand man and co-host, Brandon Schaefer. Brandon, how's everything going? How you been? As usual, I'm torqued up, man. I'm ready to fire. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm looking at the picture. I'm not sure if that's Alex in there with the hat on. I'm, I'm looking at that picture, man. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm excited for the boys to come on. Have some fun. Definitely, definitely. I think this is the first time we've had two guests on at once, so it'll definitely be a new dynamic. I think it'll be a lot of fun, and more importantly, it's on a very innovative topic that I think a lot of people aren't aware of. Um, they're definitely maybe seen 3D printing, seen some anecdotes of it, but aren't exactly sure you know, exactly how much it's progressed and, and how quick it's coming and changing our future. So definitely excited to dive into this topic. As you know, Brandon, we're going to be covering essentially how will 3D printing uh, change manufacturing forever, right? And what that impact may be. So without further ado, let's get our guests on here, Adam and Alex. Thank you so much for joining us today. How's everything going? Hey guys, we're doing well. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here and we're excited to talk about the future. Yeah, we're ready. Exactly. I know you guys are fresh off an event, so I'm sure you're very comfortable pitching yourselves now and talking <laughs> to a lot of people. Uh, so let's just start with uh, start a little bit at the top, right? Uh, what is Dive Design Co. And, and how do you guys help companies? Yeah, so uh, Dive Design is a uh, industrial design firm at its core, but our specialty is working with manufacturers, helping them to navigate and leverage the benefits of new 3D printing technologies. Um, so, you know, a lot of companies today are facing a lot of challenges, uh, supply chain on getting parts in, getting things made and, and shipped out on time. So we've been doing a lot in helping businesses to navigate all the new production technologies to make things faster, easier and localized. Uh, so we're, we're very excited about the, the future of this and, and all the ways that it's really reshaping industries. Definitely. No, and I've been fortunate enough to come and visit you guys. So I know you guys have a great shop, a lot of really cool equipment and I could it's like a fun room in there. I would try to print stuff all day long. So it was definitely a good time. So just dive in a little bit into your background. Obviously, you guys are partners, but you know, where are your expertise? How the heck did you get involved in 3D printing and, and how did you start to work together? Yeah, I think we've we've like refined that. Um, so Adam and I met in college down at Philadelphia University, where we both studied industrial design. We met because we were teamed up to work on a design competition our freshman year, freshman year. Uh, and we ended up collaborating really well. We won that competition and that kind of sparked that that future relationship that we were to grow into and eventually start dive design with. Um, the industrial design, in case people don't know, is the intersection of art, engineering, and uh, marketing. Or marketing? Say, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're the ones at its essence that help make products look really good, feel really good, have great ergonomics, um, and just work overall really well. Um, and so we typically work with the engineers and we work with uh, the consumers to help bring this product to life. And so um, our junior year of college, we had a lot of freelance work. We ended up teaming up together. And uh, that's really when we formed Dive Design. And over the course of the pandemic, we refined our business model. And now we help people integrate 3D printing. Uh, and I think you had asked how we got into 3D printing. Um, it was our animal prosthetics business that really was the catalyst for us to get into that. That's awesome. No, it's great. And 
it's always cool to see how you guys come together. I, I always love talking to you guys because you are like in the intersection that we're in, but you're in the physical product world and we're in the yeah. digital product world. So it's really cool to see how you guys help people still go through the same prototyping, the ideation, bring ideas to market in a very rapid way. Um, obviously, our tools uh, and our processes are just a little bit different, but it's, it's very exciting. Yeah, um, it's, so it's synonymous for sure, except for that physical and digital, you know, deliverable. Exactly. No, 100%. And just what's your guys' overall goal with the company? We're going to dive into some of your different brands, but what's your mission and, and where you see yourselves in the next three to five years? Yeah, I mean, we really want to see the widespread adoption of 3D printing across industries. You know, we want to see how uh, more industries than, than there are right now. I mean, right now there's a, there's a few main sectors like medical, aerospace, manufacturing that are really uh, leveraging 3D printing, but we want to see even more than that. You know, we want to be a part of, of helping um, people adopt it and really take advantage of it because there's so many technologies out there. It's almost overwhelming to, to start that search. Uh, and at the same time, we want to help those 3D printing technology companies, the companies making the materials and printers themselves. We want to help them to reach the industries through better marketing, through better case studies, through better partnerships. So we sort of want to be at the at the core of that, uh, bridging the gap between the technologies and the companies that can utilize them, uh, you know, to really make a better future, make things, uh, you know, more customized, more tailored, more sustainable. Um, so bring things back to the U.S., bring yeah. manufacturing back to the U.S. Absolutely. So, you know, we want to see that widespread adoption where it makes sense. Obviously, 3D printing is not the answer for every problem or, or every product, um, but there are so many products that previously couldn't exist that now can and, and by product. But, you know, I also mean solutions, challenges. Uh, I mean, like the animal prosthetics Alex mentioned, previously you couldn't make certain devices by hand. Now you can. Now dogs can get the uh, devices that they need for a better life. 100%. No, and I love that. And like you said, you know, we're similar rules. We want to drive adoption, see the world change. And the, the first step to doing that is always creating awareness, right? So we're really happy we're able to get you guys on. I think you're going to really bring awareness to 3D printing overall, but more importantly, not just the cool side of it, but how business can really start to apply it, right? And the benefits that it creates for them, because I think it's still you know, such an innovative technology that people think it's this out of the box idea. And sometimes they can have challenges trying to apply it much like we see uh, around AI, right? Great topic, great yeah. marketing term. Everyone thinks it's awesome, but <laughs> they struggle to identify where can it be applied in my business and really have a major yeah, impact. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, just the conference that we came back to was all about 3D printing. We The technical term is additive manufacturing. And these, these companies are so enveloped you know they have such a great understanding of it but you have people that aren't in that space that come in and we spoke with a lot of them that have just no idea how expansive it is what the material options are what the technology options are that you can 3d print out of metal now and different types of metal like people just don't really fully capture it and same for the digital space too you mentioned ai people just don't necessarily have a great grasp on what the power is behind it yeah no i can't agree more i think anything that provides a lot of opportunity you know, it's like going to the diners, their menus are huge. Sometimes it's so hard to pick an option of what you want to eat because there's just too many opportunities. I love that. You got to ask the waiter, you know, what do you recommend? What's yeah. popular here? And that's what we kind of help people do. Like, here's the menu, but we're going to help take you through it and, and make the best suggestion. I think when you start using that analogy, yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah. You can start stealing it, no problem, but it's copyrighted. <laughs> uh, but no, that's awesome. And I think, you know, where I'd like to start is kind of helping us dive in a bit 
Uh, of course, you know, I think we're all involved in manufacturing clients and the supply chain, uh, pretty much all from a different angle, which is really interesting, I, I think, for today's topic. And Brandon, I'm curious on your side, have you seen, you know, I know you're lighting manufacturers, furniture manufacturers, uh, medical manufacturers, right, based on the relationships we have together. Have you seen any of them either starting to talk about this new technology or trying to find ways to apply it in their business? Yeah, I've seen, I've. I've heard of them talking about it and I've heard of them thinking or discussing purchasing a low cost machine, which I think it's better to go through, um, you know, a company like dive design, you know, get, get, get somebody that can consult you through the process and get a better understanding and maybe do a proof of concept before you take, take a dive and, and, um, and jump in and get something that maybe isn't going to fit your needs. But I hear the buzzword going around all the time. I hear I hear conversations about it. It's I, I was thinking as we were talking, you know, it's kind of like going to the store and ordering sushi, you know, except you're getting the parts that you need, you know, and, that, and that's kind of what the world is going to to be here soon. But, um, you know, uh, 3D printing has been around for I want to say like seven or eight years now with three when I think it was MakerBot came out with the first one or there were there were one or two that came out with the low cost models. But um, I it's gaining exposure. I think it's gaining more exposure in the underbelly than the forefront to the personal right now. So that's why I think you guys are in a great spot to just explode. In fact, I told Brian this before you guys got on. I'm like, this is an explosive market. This market, this is like electric cars before Tesla. Like nobody was thinking like electric cars. You're thinking of a Prius or something today. If you can get your hands on an electric car for a reasonable price, you're going to do it. It's going to be the same thing with, with 3d printing soon very very soon in the next 12 to 24 months so go ahead man no this, this him saying that's gonna help me sleep tonight for sure <laughs> <laughs> you know guys you use the example of the diner i want to go back to that for a second you know a lot of the challenges people face is they're not going right to the diner they're going right to the people that are supplying the diner for instance like the people who supply the pasta for example and they're saying what what is the best thing for me to get they're gonna say oh it's the pasta without a doubt you got to get the pasta yeah. And, and really that is the biggest problem is because people who aren't informed are being forced into the wrong technology with the wrong material that is promising the right solutions. And we're really here to be that unbiased source in a lot of senses. We wanna help them understand what the right technology is, what the right solution is and, and test with them and make sure that they're on the right track. Cause if they're not, there's tons of other options. You know, and that that's, you know, going back to the diner, for instance, you know, you, you can try something and realize it's not working and try something else and realize that that tastes a little bit better and, and not be committed to one, you know? Definitely. Yeah. No, and I think people, just, just from an outside perspective, I think sometimes people get attracted to the, to the next shiny object. They say, oh, well, I'm just, I have this wrench. I'm going to hold this wrench up to a picture and all of a sudden the wrench is going to come out. And that's not necessarily what happens, right? There's yeah. a lot of coding that goes in. There's a whole there's a whole scripting book that goes in there, the design, crap like that. So I, I'm just going to say this right now. Go to these two boys right here. Go to these two boys. Now, anything, they're going to guide you. They're going to consult you. Uh, and there's nothing better than having somebody that has machines in their shop. So to show you, to yeah. kind of guide you through, right? Yeah. I mean, right? the proof is in the pudding is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> we, we appreciate that. I mean, we, we take the same process that we used to with conventional product design. I mean, if you want to develop a product and, and make it at mass scale, you better know what you're doing, right? You better have done the research. You better have done the testing, the iterations to really get to that device, that product that deserves to be made at a mass scale. And we take that same process to helping people to navigate 3D printing, right? 
What are your constraints? Who are you trying to target? What are you trying to make? Uh, what are the material properties that you need? And we do the research just like we would for a consumer product or like you guys would for a software solution. So it's not about, oh, what do we have here? It's about what's new, uh, what's going to solve the problem and, and what's going to help at the end of the day, make it a better business or, or a better product. So there's a lot of research and testing and iteration that goes into it, just like any new solution. Yep. Are no, there any production that. machines? I didn't mean to cut you off there, right? Just have one, one You're good. Jump in. Are there any production 3D printing machines as of yet that can just pump out just like volumes and volumes and volumes yeah. all day, it, 24 hours a day? People have no idea. I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, being familiar with 3D printing for the past seven or so years. It actually yeah. goes back 30, 40 years. I mean, the amount of technologies, the amount of evolution with, with each sector within is is mind blowing. I mean, there, there are production systems out there doing thousands of parts a day, you know, let alone a month. So, you know, where people most, most of the time think of a simple uh, desktop printer, uh, you saw a lot of those during the pandemic, people printing uh, their own face shields and things like that. I mean, that is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, that's, that's the hobbyist level. That's what you get to tinker with to start with. Um, but it goes all the way to the other end of like, we're talking million dollar machines printing boats one after the next. So, you know, the spectrum there is, is insane. Or jet engines. There's there's machines printing jet engines that couldn't produce, be produced in any other way. You couldn't right. CNC it. You couldn't cast it. It is, re re in reality, the only way to do it. It's insane. Yeah. I've seen one that I really enjoyed, which was a cast that goes on somebody's hand, which was really, really cool because it had holes in it. You, it was, you could go in the water with it. You know, so that's just one kind of yeah case that i really grabbed hold of and the prosthetics too i know when when, when you talk about humans it's a totally different game because you have fda and that it's like yeah, yeah. you know you're, you're it's, it's a tough road well to what, let's use that for example though yeah. like think about a traditional cast where they're wrapping you with a hard casting tape and your skin starts to swell and becomes really moist it smells bad you can't breathe you can't itch it and now you've got this cast that's 3d printed custom molded to your hand and your hand only that's breathable, is waterproof, allows you to go in the shower without the bag. It's game changing. There's no other way that that could have been done. And, and if there was, it would have been very, very time consuming and not worthwhile to the practitioner's uh, schedule or, or even yeah. what they're able to bill for. Definitely. No, I think it's a great point. And I think the utility case is going to come out more and more. And where I want to bring us back just a little bit is, you know, Adam, I really like how you touched into the process. We see it in software a lot. It's very easy when you see a finished product, right? And you're like, oh, let's go buy a 3D printing machine and I can make 10 of those finished products for my business. Yeah. But now you're just cloning an outcome that somebody else created versus identifying the best way to create a similar outcome for your business, right? And I think that's much the Brandon's point where, you know, you want to have the right people to help you identify how to leverage the process and the tool. And a lot of people don't recognize how many different skill sets and competencies a company has to be able to produce that finished product. Right. Like you guys are saying, we have, you know, product designers, digital front end, UX, UI. Then we've got architecture guys. Then you've got, um, you know, server side. And, and no one knows those are all the machines going into the process and much like the same in yours. Right. You have schematics, CAD designs, multiple machines, manufacturing processes, how to set up the material properly to not print incorrectly. Right. Uh, and that's really where people can come in identify where you can help them bring value and then if it makes sense go purchase machines and scale up production internally right and i think that versatility that you guys offer is is just such a thing that i want companies to recognize no matter how big or small they are they should start in that first step 
And then they can either leverage you if they're on the smaller side and don't need scale, or at least define a very clear process using your expertise that then they can bring in-house without hiring these people. And that's kind of where I wanted to lead us in, where I think a question a lot of the people are going to have, and you could even see from Brandon and I's side, we thought, you know, if you asked me to, I would have said 3D printing's been around eight to 10 years, like absolutely max. Um, so I think what's important is to help people recognize not just the use cases, but how does your process of creating a product, right, or a prototype or any finished good, let's say, uh, differ from like the traditional manufacturing process? If we want to pick like injection molding as a particular platform to compare and contrast against. Yeah, well, fortunately, it's, it's actually very similar. The only difference is that the barrier to entry for 3D printing is much, much lower. So, you know, for example, if you're going to design parts that are going to get injection molded, well, you're working within the constraints of the production process, right? Every production process has its constraints, even 3D printing and each 3D printing technology has its own constraints you, you design within. For injection molding, it's the tolerances, you know, the, the, the angle of the wall so the parts can be removed from the tool. 3D printing it has its own constraints. So you basically design, you iterate to create the optimal part to work within those constraints. Uh, of course, the part not only has to be producible, but it has to function as it's intended for whatever the application is. If it needs to hold water, well, it has to hold water and it has to be able to be molded. For 3D printing, it's the same thing. You're balancing constraints. You're balancing, can it be made efficiently, effectively? And will it also serve the purpose of why it's being made in the first place? The big difference, though, is that with injection molding, well, to get one part made, you have to get the entire tool made. That could be $10,000, it could be $50,000, $100,000 just to get one tool made or one part. 3D printing, you don't even need the machine. You can have somebody with a 3D printer make you that one part. Uh, you don't have to buy the entire tool, the entire machine. You're just buying the time and the plastic for one part. So, you know, it's completely changing um, the workflow as far as iterating and speed to market because you know, you're not investing in a huge upfront quantity, you're investing in a few parts to start, then maybe 20, then maybe 100, then maybe 1,000, maybe then moving over to injection molding, or if it's a product that is made at lower volumes, right. where you stay with 3D right. printing. So, you know, there's, there's more to navigate, but there's also so many more ways to get started and many, many more options. Uh, you can start with one process, like desktop 3D printing, we're talking $300 printers, you bring one internally, and then maybe you outsource to a company with a half a million dollar machine that's cranking parts out and you don't have to make that investment or you can bring it in depending on your quantities not many companies are going to bring an injection molding machine in-house you know so you get a lot more flexibility a lot more nimbleness with 3d printing where uh not only can the design evolve over time because once you invest in tooling for injection mold well that's it you can't really change the mold unless you do a new one 3d printing i mean think of the animal prosthetics we do not only is each one custom the product is continually get, getting better. You know, as we learn, as we work with more animals, more customers, our products improve because it costs nothing additional to change the design. Uh, so, you know, while there are a lot of similarities in the process and how you work within constraints, the flexibility, the nimbleness, uh, the barrier to entry is is much different for 3D printing. And that's why we're so excited about it. Yeah, well said. And I think I'll, I'll touch on that too. I think a lot of people have this misconception when they hear 3D printing, they think of that little chintzy part on their buddy's desk with the layer lines on it. And we're so far past that. I mean, when you talk about the $300 machines, that's typically what you'll see. But we're, we're putting out parts that look like they're injection molded now. You, It would fool the eye. And, and that's really how much the technology has evolved. 
And it really does come down to the quantity. The companies that are doing lower volumes, might it might be very advantageous for them to do something within uh, 3D printing versus doing an injection mold with the tool. You know, it really just comes down to the quantity. And, and just so you guys know, how much the technology has evolved over the past just five years and what we're going to see in the next five to 10 years, it could, it could catch up to injection molding. Like I, I don't think we would be surprised to see that one day. I really don't. I think the technology will evolve enough where we'll see that. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think it's exciting because I think obviously I've seen your guys process a little bit. And of course there's some level of, you know, traditional technology, let's call it, just not on the 3D printing and manufacturing aspect, but of course the tools that you use to manage the process. And like we were talking about earlier, you know, AI is going to come into things. Now there's scanners that can read people's body and give you all their dimensions to custom fit clothes, right? That on an animal schematic, right? People send the pictures in. Now you're creating those 3D models without the human eye, right? And it makes it more conformed. And that's really what we're seeing across the entire world right now, right? Technology is exponentially growing and improving in so many different areas, right? Hardware, software, across every industry, that then there's these massive compound effects that just start to affect everybody at one time, which is super exciting. And I love what you said, Adam, at least to my understanding too, is the barrier of entry is massive that it is that low, right? I do know a lot of people that had great product ideas. They go out, they get a patent for it. And like you said, they turn around and it's an easy $100,000 to get started. If you want to just get an injection mold, you're 10 to 15. You usually mess up your first one or it's not as good as it could have been. You iterate it, right? And then on top of that, they're going to companies with minimum production cycles, right? So you got to print at least 100 units on the first run or even right. 50. And there's that capacity that it's just, it's not giving you as much staying power where even if they couldn't afford to buy the 3D printer, but they came to you guys, they could do five years worth of iterations of what the cost would be, right? For probably a fraction of the cost, like 10% of the cost. And then if they want to scale that out on 3D printing and build a market by selling 10 products at a time, you know, and really hit the market, it allows them to avoid that overhead. And of course, that's just my lens to it because we see a lot of customers struggle with that when they try to create new products, right? And these are successful businesses that have the capital to do it, but it doesn't mean that they don't wish they could do it more efficiently. Um, So I think that's like one of the biggest takeaways that I see from the 3D printing side. Like you said, it's that mass customization, mass iteration at a very low price, which I just haven't seen in any manufacturing life cycle, you know, to date. Brandon, do you feel there's a similar impact? Uh, where do you kind of see it fitting in? Of course, there's so many benefits to it, but I'd love to get your perspective on it as well. Yeah, I see this with Amazon already. So Amazon has print on print on demand books. It's a key, it, it is a massive, massive revenue stream for them, right? Because everyone prints a book, everyone hears it, print on demand books. It's going to be the same with parts eventually or in pieces. It's going to be print on demand. What do you need? There's no there's no need for a mom and dad uh plumber to keep all that stuff on the shelf you know forty thousand dollars of stuff on the shelf when they're making sixty thousand dollars a year you know they're just they're just working to pay off what's on their shelves and hopefully they use them by the time they use it it's already outdated anyway because things only work three to five years now right so it's it's not like it's it's not like it used to be um so i i just think in in kind of listening to this there's there's no excuse for anybody that has any idea because there's a lot of startup people, there's a lot of entrepreneurs and founders that watch this um, show and stuff and, and actually um, have a listen to it. 
but there's no excuse not to bring something to market. Like it used to be like, hey, I need to send this over to China to have an injection mode, to have this, to wait three weeks, you can't understand. It comes back, it's wrong, you gotta send it back three weeks. Like there is absolutely no excuse for you not to pick up the phone, not to reach out to um, Adam or Alex and Dive Design or any of these people and say, hey, listen, I have this idea. They're not gonna steal your idea. Get them to sign a quick NDA, send them your stuff, get a proof of concept. It's not that freaking difficult, right? You got a cup, you got water, just do it. That's I'm, I'm more talking in terms of invigorating, you know. But um, yeah, that's where I see it going, man. Just just stop. Don't make up excuses for anybody. You know, the the print on demand is really um, where things are moving, especially in three D printing. Uh, the book I didn't know about that Amazon is doing that. It's really interesting. But I think the the biggest barrier that we're going to see is that people have this sense of instant gratification with so many things nowadays. I mean, Amazon Prime, we're down to one day shipping where the next day you're getting your product. And even with print on demand, as speeds continue to increase, there's still going to be that delay. And that I think will be the biggest bottleneck in a lot of senses. Are, are people going to be willing to wait an extra day for a product that maybe is a little bit more sustainable because they're not producing a uh, hundred thousand extra parts that ended up going to a landfill. But, you know, it, it's interesting to think about all those nuances, regardless of the industry. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's... No, I think what well, was great to hear you guys touch on earlier. And I kind of wanted to dispel it because I learned it from you. And then I've been reading some articles, obviously, in prep because you guys got me addicted to 3D printing now. Um, so looking into some things, like I think one of the biggest myths, and we see it in like technology as well, is this is like a hobby tool right? you can print face shields, small action figures, um, and maybe you can do some parts, right? But I think what a lot of people don't recognize is more of the material side. And I had no idea. I just assumed a 3D printer's got 3D printing material. You, I couldn't tell you what the raw material was. Um, but that was like one of the biggest findings that I had. So I'd love to kind of talk on that a little bit because I, I think that's the biggest like myth or just unawareness pocket, if you will, of the grade of things that are out there. And I, I'll throw out one simple example and then if you guys can kind of go more into the materials and what you see with your expertise, that would be great. Um, but the two initial ones I found right away, you know, some basic research was obviously Mercedes, right? High end luxury car companies. This is not the Honda Civic, you know, little plastic shield over your engine, Mercedes is using this on their wheels, right? On their studs, things that they rely on the car to function and would be a safety concern if it wasn't a high quality product. And now they're using it to produce parts for old cars, right? And then Alex also touched on it earlier. There's jet engines. And one of the specific ones I found were literally like the Airbus, you know, massive airplanes that are now using this to produce parts on the fly that are not only lighter, but they're also stronger, which to me was like one of the most fascinating things ever. So I just love to kind of dive in a little bit more on this material side and get a little bit more insight from you guys on what are some of the materials out there? Um, you know, what are the benefits of them? And, and how do you know when to use a particular material for a certain product or whatever the client may be trying to engineer? Brian, I'll, I'll kick this off. And I know Adam's going to really take the lead on this one, but um, the legacy part industry is enormous and, and it is just being touched on. You mentioned Mercedes and, and their parts that are no longer produced that people need to keep their cars on the road or restore cars. 3D printing is, is huge for that. And even in the uh, aerospace industry for, uh, let's say old Cessnas, for instance, historic Cessnas that are still flying that need replacement parts that can't be found anymore. Uh, 
that's that's the beauty of 3D printing, you know. So, yeah, I just want to start by saying that you're not going to find an industry today that is not using 3D printing, but you will find many businesses in those industries that have yet to approach it, yet to consider it, yet to, you know, even look at it because again, they, they just don't trust it. They don't think it's there yet. They're not informed enough. Uh, and that's the cool part, you know, literally every single industry, I don't think we can think of one that isn't using 3D printing in some way. Uh, it's just the businesses that have not come around to it yet. Um, you know, you can look at you can look at aerospace, right? There's a lot of uh, you know metal getting printed for aerospace parts. I mean, when you think of uh, what's important to them, it's not only quality and um, you know being able to to trust the parts, but it's it's weight, right? It's parts. Like when you can 3D print something. Uh, all is one piece rather than having multiple pieces come together. Well, not only are you saving time, but you're saving weight and you're reducing risk of failure because you have one part rather than many making up a system. Uh, if you look at medical, I mean, we're doing a lot of work with uh, in the prosthetics industry for, for humans. Uh, you know, right now it takes a lot of manual time, labor and craft to make a prosthesis. Uh, you know, there's a lot of waste. There's a lot of physical labor that just goes into it. it's a very messy process it can only be done in very specific locations so the fact that you know instead of a small clinic having to wait a week for a, a product to come back from a from a supplier they can print it in an hour on a printer with the same exact material i mean that's game changing you know we can literally print check sockets or what are used before the final carbon carbon fiber socket we can print uh, materials that they're using even for final sockets now, just because the materials are continually advancing to, to solve the needs. You know, it's almost like when the iPhone came out, right? It was this platform for all of these apps. So, you know, being that you have the platform, everybody started creating apps to be used on the platform. Well, the printers, the machines are the platform. And now every polymer company is creating those apps in a sense, all the materials to be used on the machines. And, and now that there are so many industries and applications every single week, a new material is coming out for a different niche specific application. I mean, now we can print um, polyethylene. I had a company ask, hey, can we print a gas tank? You know, we, we're we using, you know, bottles, things like that. We need something custom. Uh, you know, what material is gonna, is gonna stand up to that sort of environment? We did a quick search. We found one of our clients actually just came out with a material that would be perfect for a gas tank, perfect for that sort of application. So, you know, we're constantly doing that research, going to trade shows uh, just to see what's new and available because there are companies just completely dedicated to advancing those materials in different sectors, specific to the sectors. Uh, and, you know, it's not just the, the standard ABS and PLA that it was 10 years ago. I mean, I can't even count the amount of materials now. It's, it's, just, it's just insane. Yeah, no, I think that's really exciting. I think one of the also interesting things that a lot of people don't recognize is 3d printing it's always like one solid finished product right like one of the examples i saw um was more around like assembly right and it was more around like jet engines and fuel injectors and car parts where normally they'd have to create several you know partly finished raw materials or they take raw materials they'll create like a stud and then a guy has to come in and weld right 30 pieces together in order to create that cylinder where at least to my understanding, right, within the 3D printing process, you'd be able to produce that similar product all as one solid unit. So from there, it's not only, you know, more cost efficient to the process, but it's also a more sturdy product because there are no of those flex points where there was an assembled process. Is that a correct understanding oh, yeah. of how some of the things are trending? 
Absolutely. And because, you know, 3D printing offers so much more flexibility in how you design parts, going back to, you know, what you guys do, the, the AI side, the software side is becoming so valuable. I mean, they're using algorithms and AI to design these parts. You enter in constraints and the computer does the work just because a human mind can't possibly create and think in that way. I mean, the parts, they literally look like they've come off alien spaceships. It's the most surreal thing to see at these trade shows is there's just uh, till now you just you couldn't have made a part like that now that you can well you need the other technologies to go with it the design software technologies simulation technologies the materials uh so it's just sort of unearthing all of these other areas that are really supporting uh what 3d printing is today no yeah it's, it's an extremely fascinating industry for sure and i guess what i think you know trying to think more from manufacturing minds and the people that you know we'd really like to attract to you and make sure they have a deep understanding i think it's great that they're seeing the expansion of materials right which is now going to compete with the amount of raw materials they could particularly purchase right if they brought a bill of materials saying here's all the things i need for my product how could you produce this with the same or less bill of materials i think a real question will come down to know what's kind of the cost comparison on that are these materials for 3d printing extremely expensive because it's more of a compound or are they relatively yeah. the same and i have no idea what the answer is so i'm, I'm curious yeah you know brian the other thing too is that polymers have advanced so rapidly over the past five to seven years that we're competing with metal parts uh, we have a client who produced uh, cast metal valves overseas and he, he initially come to us saying, I need to print this out of metal. And I want to see if it's feasible. And right off the bat, I mean, we have a good understanding of what ROI would be on like on something like that. It wouldn't. Uh, we were like, there's no way. But you need to look into some polymers. He goes, it can't be done. It can't be done. I need something structural. And we said, all right, well, this is why we're here. This is why we exist. Because we, we uncover things like this. We, we know who's out there. We know what materials are worth trying. And we were able to set him up and completely change his business model because his cost was cut in more than half uh, for the final deliverable. And, and we're talking about a cast metal product versus a 3D printed plastic part uh, that, that gets replaced. It's, it's insane. And I think that's the other problem too, is people think that, well, I have this metal end use part, it has to be metal 3D printed for it to work. And that's just not the case anymore. Uh, and I think that's the other part of this as well, is people are like, well, it's only good for end use parts. And, there's no way we're, we're talking about custom jigs and fixtures that help make the end use parts that are 3d printed for example so there's so many facets and nuances in the industry that people aren't recognizing just yet that we're trying to help uncover that's really exciting yeah but to, to touch on price even more i mean there are machines now that use literally the same exact raw pellet feed that goes into injection molding machines it literally is the same material that's going into an extruder instead of it, you know, extruding, extruding into a mold, it's extruding the part itself. You know, we're, we printed an entire uh, eight foot paddleboard using raw pellet for a company to show off their material at a trade show. I mean, this thing we took on a lake, it floated, it looked awesome, like nothing you'd ever seen before. And it was the same polypropylene they're using, you know, to, to mold the paddleboards, just fed through a massive 3D printer. So, you know, it's cost, time i mean it's it's just finding the right fit for the application there not every not every application can you use raw pellet uh you know we're able to print very large large objects very quickly with that technology but you don't get very fine detail like you would with a laser resin based 3d printing technology well the resin is going to be a little bit more expensive than the raw pellet 
but you might be able to get parts and accuracy that you just can't get with any other process, including uh, injection molding, just because of the geometry. So for a really high value parts that can't be made any other way, it's the only option. So, you know, it's better, better to have something, otherwise you, there's no part at all, there's no product. Definitely, you know, and I think, Brandon, if we're thinking of like a lot of our customers, I know some of the problems we always talk about, right? The biggest thing they're facing right now is more of their supply chain, right? And more on the sourcing side, not so much them delivering their goods. And as we know, Brandon, like a lot of our clients, you know, we see them source from at least 15 to 35 different vendors, right? Depending on having multiple vendors for the same type of material uh, or needing, you know, they produce a lot of high level custom products and they build to order. So every time they get an order, they may order from three vendors or they may order from 40. Uh, and they, like you said, it could be just the fixings, right? It's not, they're not ordering finished products. They're ordering raw materials. So it could be, I need 5,000 brackets. This vendor only has 2,500. This guy's got a thousand, right? And then from there, they need the barrel. Uh, like one of our customers builds fuel tanks and fuel cells, right? Uh, very long customized products. But from what I'm hearing with you guys, it's not only like, let's say the materials were a little bit more expensive, right? Uh, in retrospect, they most likely you come out with a higher quality product. But it seems like, Brandon, from my side, definitely want to get your thoughts. It seems like the sourcing side, too, you could cut down your sourcing, you know, by two to three, like 30, 40 percent, which a lot of people don't recognize. It's not just the cost of material. It's the cost of time to receive materials, multiple shipment orders and things like that. There's tons of companies and people that would pay a little bit more money for the finished product if they had to spend a little less time to make it. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you have to realize until now, you know, if you needed parts, if you were sourcing parts, well, if you need a tube, you go to the tube company. If you need a bracket, you go to the bracket company. If you need a soft material, you go to the, the flexible, you know, textile company. With 3D printing now, you go to a place that has a printer and you can get any one of those options. So, you know, and it's more localized because it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be as distributed, or I'm sorry, it can be more distributed because one platform can do a lot more. So the one printer can make the tube, it can make the bracket, it can make the flexible material rather than having to find a separate company for each one. So, you know, that's, that's also the cool part of, you know, how it, how it kind of spreads the, the load across, uh, you know, less companies. Definitely. No, I think that's extremely interesting. And I think that might be something you guys want to build into your process. If you show people cost comparisons, uh, yeah. I know you're more in the 3D side, but if you can show people that during a prototyping stage, you know, traditional manufacturing versus this, uh, there's a, a lot more that people are looking into those little materials, you know, from labor to sourcing to time to assembly. Uh, and obviously you guys produce great products and 3D printing has so many benefits on its own, but I didn't even think of that sourcing aspect until you went into it today. Honestly, we always include some type of ROI when there's something like that on the line. Like if, the, if clients can be transparent with us, tell us what their costs are and, and what their sourcing is like, we could probably put together an ROI chart for them to understand, help them understand how long it would take to make back the investment of the original design modification and then doing the production. It's fairly straightforward just because it is so localized. Yeah, obviously cost is a huge variable. Uh, you know, that's why sometimes products are printed because of cost, because of complexity with alternative processes. So, you know, it's how we make decisions. There might be a more expensive process with certain attributes, but there might be a less expensive one, but the trade-offs are, you know, they're going to work. So, you know, it's a big variable in how we navigate the different technologies. Definitely. 
And Brandon, I think I jumped on you last time. Do you have one you want to jump in there? Yeah, no, no, man. I, I, I'm thinking about, you know, like T-shirts. You got to order T-shirts for a softball team, baseball team, something else. They're like, how many shirts do you have? You're like, 12. And they're like, well, you need to order 50, you know, to get the discount. And you're paying the same price for 12 as you are for 100. So get 100. You know, nobody's going to, especially in today's world, you know, for any supplier out there, Listen, again, I've said this multiple times already. I would be on the phone to these guys right away, sending them an email, note, how can I get involved? What can we do? What conversations can we get involved in? If you're not, and I've said this on other shows too, because we usually have great technologies on here, you're going to be left behind. That's the bottom line. I can fluff it up. I can beat around the bush, tell you everything's going to be okay. If you do business the way that your granddad did business, the way that your grandma did business, pen and paper, without technology, without without being uh, proactive, you're going to get smoked because there's 10 other companies out there that are smarter, faster, stronger, less money than you, but that will eat up your market share faster than you can eat a bowl of Cheerios in the morning. I'm telling you right now, so, you know, do not wait. And Brian, and I'm, I say this with Brian, too, in terms of technology, if you're not doing technology investments, this this is an ad for us or what 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 the heck we do but if you're not investing in, in technology and having these discussions and getting this stuff in your budget for 2023 24 25 like there's companies out there we speak to them every single day they're they're there right and they have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank and they're going up a company with 30 40 50 million dollars in the bank but they're they're going to outbeat them in in the long run here within three to five years because Absolutely. of the technology that they're implementing. Absolutely. So, you know, um, I'm not going to go any further into the giants, but there, I think, <laughs> I, I think there's a couple Davids out there that are going to take down Goliath <laughs> very, very soon here through technology and through the use of what you guys are offering here with 3d services and the consulting piece, I think is may even be bigger than the actual printing piece, because if you can, you know, share what to do, how to do it, helpful, useful, timely, relevant, engaging information. That's a grand slam. And people will pay buku bucks for um, for knowledge on what they need to do, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And honest to God, like we don't really want to get into the production side so much. We, we really just want to remain that unbiased source that can help people leverage the technology. And there are instances where we've done production for people, but it's really not where we find the most joy. Like we love coming up with those innovative solutions through 3D printing for our clients. Like that is where we get the most joy. And mind you, one of the parts of our business that we didn't really mention is that we're working with the manufacturers of these machines and materials to make their marketing better and more real because they're stuck in a bubble right now. All they're doing is talking to themselves because they're only communicating to the people who understand that language and that technology. We're really trying to, to you know, bridge that barrier uh, and and open this up to so many other industries and technologies. And so I think that's really where a lot of the value lies is just giving people the options. Yeah, and we yeah. see more and more of that. So you go into like an Amazon store and they have nothing or, or Best Buy, they don't have a lot of product there, right? So you go into the store, you kind of show it. So I think of one case, Bed Bath & Beyond. So if I'm Bed Bath & Beyond, right, they just did a huge, huge, um, remodel of the store all the cashiers are up front now it's in a straight row just put like five of those machines there and have which part do you want which spoon do you want which which piece do you want which plunger do you want boom just freaking print it right there go shop around and we'll be right back you know, who do you want it for do you want to personalize like it's everything's gonna be personalized in the future here it's gonna be on demand because 
We can't fill the stores, even Bed Bath & Beyond and huge stores, Target, Walmart, they can't fill the shelves with everything that's needed. So just put those okay. machines, and I know we're far off from, from that stage, but it's not too far off that you're going to see a machine, a production unit inside of some of these stores just printing off stuff, you know? That's know it, 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 it's happening in the prosthetics industry. People are coming in to get a, a fitment for a socket. They're going out to lunch, and by the time they come back, something is finished printing for them. I mean, it's going to happen. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Storage rooms are going to be a thing of the past, without a doubt. It's called digital inventory. That's the term that they yeah. use for <laughs> factories. Nice. That, you know, they, instead of having inventory on the shelves, well, a customer needs this part. All right, they print it, and it gets shipped out. You know, you don't have a factory of parts. You have a factory of printers. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's just more efficient. Uh, I mean, we just, did a, we just did a whole production line of 3D printed furniture. For a company in New Zealand that's that's getting into the U.S. market, I mean, it's furniture. You know, it's not. It's, we're not talking small trinkets. We're talking like full size pieces that are selling in high end boutique stores. You know, using materials that are recycled from different waste streams. You know, it's it's really unique and, and interesting how uh, new products are are coming to exist with the new technology. So I have a, I have two quick questions just on some some limitations perhaps. So. Yep. And I just wrote these down. I don't I don't have any knowledge of this or anything else, but springs, springs, anything that goes up and down, I foresee being an issue, correct? Anything yeah. like this? We're talking Adam, get that prototype. Prototype. <laughs> a slinky. You got a slinky there? Yeah, I'll grab I'll grab some things. Yeah, grab, this grab is, This is one example. We, we picked this up at the trade show, but this is a 3D printed material, for instance. Um oh my god, okay. It has, that type of rebound to it so it it's okay so it's it's flexible okay can you see this yeah yeah of so course. this is this is a lightweight wheel for uh, uh wheelchairs we make for dogs the suspension is built into the wheel itself so that we don't need a separate suspension i mean these are basically leaf springs all the way around so that it is completely compressible and returns to the shape i mean that's one example you know this is this is the insole for a shoe that's completely flexible when you stand on it you know you feel the compression unlike any other foam so this is what they call a, a digital foam where it's basically been designed to have the optimal amount of energy return uh it's very lightweight it's very breathable so you know when it comes to flexibles when it comes to energy return i mean even adidas is making their new sneakers using the 3d printed uh sole so there's a lot we can do with uh with springs with polymers and with metals Okay. And then size. Is there any limitations? In, are you, can you run something through inside like a canoe? Like I know you said the paddle boards typically like 10 to 12 feet, but can you run like a 30 foot piece through there? Or is there any limitations with width and size and all in one shot? No, I mean, no. each tech, each technology <laughs> okay. within 3d printing has its own constraints, right? If you wanted to print a boat with a, a laser based system, no, you can't do that. But if FDM, a different type of printing process, where it's basically a big hot glue gun, if you can get away with that for your application, you can you can print buildings with that technology. They're literally printing houses with the same technology they're using in desktop 3D printers. Yeah, and, and mind you, um, there's a company that we were uh, looking at while we were out at the conference that we had known of that is just printing mammoth parts. And what they're doing is they're actually printing like the molds of helicopter blades and then the machine will come in and actually CNC the 3D print part for total accuracy. So there's a, a multitude of post-processing methods as well to just take it to the next level. And, mm -hmm. and, and again, we're, we're talking about 
processes that people aren't privy to. They're like, oh, 3D printing. It's that trinket on my desk. We're like, no, we're, we're printing molds for helicopter blades that companies use to make helicopters. Hello? Yeah. Yeah. And fly. Yeah. <laughs> and those <laughs> are expensive to make too. So. Exactly. No, it's, it's really interesting where it's going. I think since we kind of went there, I think the, the last part, you know, that comes up a lot in manufacturing, it's not so much the autonomy around the job side, but I think another major like underlying benefit that people don't recognize is, at least in my mind from seeing the machines out of your guys' facility, is they're a lot safer than like traditional manufacturing. You know, a lot of things could go wrong on production lines, especially real assembly and machinery. You put your hands in at the wrong, there's just so many fast moving parts where that require manual intervention, that there's that level of risk that's a little bit higher. And it might be a bad assumption, but from what I've seen, even at the mass scale, you know, 3D printing, a lot of it is like a hands-off approach while the machine is producing those goods. Is that is that a correct like assumption of how the main process works while the machines are running? I would attest that there the process itself is probably a lot safer. Again, it depends on the type of machine and, and everything involved, but um, you know, the, the risk of getting your hand, you know, injured, I think is a lot less than with injection well, look, molding. Look at the direct comparisons, right? I mean, with an injection molding machine, for example, we're talking about 5,000 pounds of force pressing together to, to, you know, hold the mold together for, for the, the molten plastic to get injected. And in. I mean, you know, that, that's a lot of force. Uh, when you're talking about casting parts, I mean, people are literally holding buckets of, of molten steel and pouring it into a, into a mold. Yeah. I mean, pulling stuff out of fires versus a self-contained box with a sealed bay, you know, using a laser beam to, to fuse the metal powder together. So. That doesn't allow you to open it while it's working. Right. Yeah. So, you know, definitely I would say overall is, is safer. Yeah. I mean, the, the risks come down to like a lot of the smaller things, like inhaling some of the dust particles that are attributed to some of the powder-based systems, like things like that cause inherent risk, but not like, you know, getting your hand squished between a mold. I don't know how often that happens, but I don't it's just an example. Yeah. But even just for shipping purposes, I mean, these things are lighter than a metal piece usually. And shipping costs, costs a ton. You know, it's it, with gas, everything else, every every extra pound is a, is a huge hit for an actual company. And I think that's why we're in such a great push right now for this is because the economy and international shipping is so outrageous. People really need to think about what better ways there are to keep their business afloat and remain competitive. And if they can do these parts here in the States and, and they're only paying $50 of shipping versus $500 of shipping, those are big margin changes. Or because they're making it locally. So instead of shipping- you know, you have one machine that makes all 10 different, you know, parts of your product right, right. in one factory, yeah. you know, it, it just kind of gives you that flexibility exactly. of where parts are made. Yeah. It's like the shift we started seeing, right. Uh, to like micro warehouses, right. Like the malls, the Macy's of the world, the Best Buy, Best Buy was the first people to recognize that, yes, we need to have a showroom, but we're really starting to leverage all of our things for last mile delivery and use this as a warehouse that just looks nice that customers can walk through versus holding tons of inventory so it's really interesting to see i love what was it called again adam the digital um product uh, side where they're just digital, you know, inventory. digital inventory yeah it's going to be really interesting to see because i can guarantee especially with like medical device companies right it's going to become a hybrid of these micro warehouses digital inventory and having you don't, instead of having a 500,000 square foot warehouse, right? They'll have 10, 100,000 square foot warehouses 
across a thousand mile radius. And from there, they'll be able to produce, deliver and not even, you know, wait. And from what it sounds like, of course, the initial investment, you know, are those machines. Um, but it seems like there's a pretty quick ROI on them, not just from the material and production side, but the entire logistics, you know, and supply chain. angle. It all comes down to the product and the margins. Every day, and most yeah. companies spend more on K cup coffee in their <laughs> office. Seriously, a big company, if they're supplying K cups, probably spend way, way more 10, 20, $30,000 a month, depending upon how many employees are there versus, I mean, it's, this is a reallocation of funds, right? People aren't coming into the office, reallocate your funds. Talk to, talk to Adam, talk to Alex and, um, <laughs> And, you know, get some guidance. Hey, maybe we can outsource this to this company that does it over here in, in mass production. You know, yeah, you got to have that buffer point to kind of guide you. Brian, I think we're going to have to steal him away from you to work sales on our side. Uh, yeah. hey, I have that's question. his whole background, sales and marketing. Hey, I, I have another question, though. What about trademarks? So, like, how do you get around? Like, if, if you have a wrench or you have a widget case, you know, and I whatever this is, this rubber case here, which would probably be a good fit for it or something else or iPhone case or anything else. Any of the other 10 things that I have sit in, in front of me here. How do you get around the trip? What's, what are the conversations that people have around what, that? Or what's, what do you mean? Can you dissect that a little bit? Well, like if you have like, um, like just say this is, this is an iPhone case. So I can give you the, you can make a iPhone case. Is there any trademark around an iPhone case or yeah, anything that I need to, to do, or I'm just opening up conversation. Now, I'm not asking for my own use case because I'm not printing iPhone cases, but I will be next week. But uh, after it's talking to you guys, everything's getting printed. Um, but have you, do you run into trademarks with, you, you know, if someone makes a certain tool and you, you go and make that wrench too, you know, or, or anything else? Do those conversations come up? I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, you could, if you replicate something that is patented, for example, and you okay. start selling it as a 3D printed part, you're still replicating the part itself. You know, that that's infringing. Absolutely. So you can run into that risk. Absolutely. But it's also okay. changing the conversation. I mean, just like yeah. any new technology, just, you know, just like when social media came out and all of a sudden, you know, privacy concerns were a thing, you know, it's changing the landscape of how patents are, are you know, or why they're used. I mean, when, yeah. when anyone can make the part all of a sudden, well, is the patent as valuable? Or, you know, if you're if you're creating a part, but instead of sending it out to a, a separate vendor overseas or something like that, you're making it in your own facility, you know, do you even need to, to get a patent if it's that closed loop? So you know, it's just kind of changing yeah. the conversation a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's how technology is too. A lot of people like you don't try to patent technology because you'll tell everybody how you build it. And for any patent, you only need a 32% difference. So as long as they just go use a different software language exactly. to program it, it could work, function, and do everything the same, but there isn't enough overlap because they're looking at like the architecture, like a physical product, uh, Brandon, um, like a golf club, right? There's going to be schematics around exactly what size everything is. And then even if you just use a different machine to produce it, you still replicate it every single schematic. Yeah, but what I think yeah. would kind of be similar in that 3D world is if my entire manufacturing process is different, all my materials are different, the compounds are different, like even the sole of that shoe, like Dr. Scholl's can't come after them and sue for that because there's way more air between it, even if the shape and everything else is different. And much to your point, Adam, I think it's great. It just increases our free market faster and people stop you know, trying to come up with one idea and they focus more on the speed in which they can get the or idea out there. Yeah, exactly. exactly. 
and I think especially from what we've done and we've built, everything really comes down to trade secret, honestly. China replicates things so quickly and, and just it's so pointless. We have so many clients, especially when we were doing traditional industrial design, that were so enveloped in their patents and we have to do this and X, Y, Z. And by the time they were able to get over, China had already produced what they were trying to come up with. And it's like you wasted so much time. You should have just done it and gotten out there. More than anything now that we're seeing, it's all about brand awareness. People are trusting brands and that's what it's coming back down to. Yeah, price is still very important, absolutely. But when somebody can rely on something, they can get in touch with somebody, they know the brand behind it, they know the mission behind it, it speaks volumes. And so we're really seeing that become prominent in this industry as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I think every good product is not how good your first version is, it's how fast you can iterate and listen and make it fit to the market. And I think more and more brands will recognize that, you know, technology's gotten more democratized, being able to access it, customize it faster at a lower cost. I think what you guys are doing, what a lot of businesses need to recognize is this is not a substantial investment to make compared to a traditional manufacturing process. So now is their time to come in and build out products that are maybe just localized products and benefit just people in your area because you know it's a need there, a particular brand or a school thing, right? And you could really start to build these local markets. And personally, I'm a little biased, but I think that's where like the whole world is going, you know, in the next five to 10 years, things are going to get cheaper, technology, physical products, everything. And now these massive companies that, like Brandon said, do have 30, 40, 50 million to invest that we could never compete with doesn't matter because we're all starting with just investing 10. You don't need 30, 40, 50 right, anymore right. just to get off the ground. And I think that's what's really exciting. And if you guys are comfortable, I think maybe we covered the market a little bit, unless Brandon has anything else he wants no, to cover on that. And I think it's just a really good segue into more of, you know, sharing, showing your guys' versatility as well. Because I know we've touched on the animal prosthetics a little bit in the beginning, um, but maybe we can kind of help paint the picture you know, for the listeners of, of course, what Dive Design does, you know, kind of if you want to call it the parent company or, or your main no, focus, and then uh, some of the branches that you've started to develop and some of the fun ideas you may have in your pipeline for the future, because I think it really lets them see, you know, how much you can do all from one process. Yeah, we, I'll, I'll jump in, I'll, I'll start with this. Um, Dive design started to solve really complex problems through innovative design solutions. Um, and I'll unpack that. We, as industrial designers, inherently want to find really good solutions that are market adoptable. And um, in doing that, we had met somebody who uh, had built animal prosthetics and had said that, you know, the way of doing these full limbs, basically when an animal has a full removal of a limb, uh, particularly the front, uh, it's extremely time intensive, labor intensive, and wasteful to develop a prosthetic for them. Uh, doing a partial limb if they have a remaining limb, it's pretty straightforward and easy or a brace, um, but this was very complex. And so we came in and we said, well, how can we as designers potentially solve this problem? And, and, and like you guys have talked about, you really have to be privy uh, to new technology. You have, you have to adapt to it. And that's what we were doing. We were saying, what are the different technologies we can bring in to potentially uh, solve this problem. And so through the many months, we brought a number of technology uh, technologies together, including 3D printing. And that's how we ended up solving that problem. We brought a 15 man hour process down to a four man hour process and reduced waste by 60%, uh, which was enormous. So those two things alone uh, played a huge case. And so 
as our client and, and us grew apart um, and continued to grow our businesses, we decided to create 3D Pets, which is our pet prosthetic brand. Uh, and like you said, is a branch of dive design. Yeah, and I just want to just want to add that. I mean, not every uh, not every client relationship starts with a very clear problem. You know, in this instance, they had they literally could not keep up with demand. You know, they weren't able to make the product. There was a very clear need for it, uh, and in the end, there was a very clear solution. Uh, but when when it comes to working with manufacturers for utilizing so many processes and so many different methods. A lot of the time we just start with an initial consultation because people don't even know what could possibly be better. I mean, we can walk around and, uh, you know, see, you know, how things are being made and having that whole library of resources and, and information on what's available. We can kind of look at things and say, oh, you know, could that be printed? Could we potentially save time doing this? You know, how heavy is that? Could it be lighter? So we're able to just sort of walk around and, and assess things uh, in an initial consultation to really identify opportunities for improvement. So, you know, a lot of a lot of businesses don't realize that and aren't always open to it because, you know, it, it kind of takes taking a, a hard look at something and saying, well, how can we be better? How can we improve? And when you don't have the knowledge of the new technologies, well, how are you going to do that by yourself? So, uh, you know, sometimes we will come in and do that that assessment, that consultation without even a clear problem or challenge. We always find some room for improvement. No, it's, it's definitely true. I think a lot of companies that they always have their preset ideas too, based on the knowledge they have. And, you know, we're all a part of like confirmation bias. You look for people that are going to back up your ideas versus confirmation bias. Maybe we'll just, uh, you know, spend money to R and D this problem statement versus assuming what the solution is. Right. And I mean, we're every business is, you know, um, has done it. We, we still do it. And sometimes you don't find out until you've done it for two to three months. And then somebody else joins the team and says it. And you're like, how the heck? Like we were two feet from that, you know, probably seven times we could have seen that. And we just yeah. missed it because, again, you're just you're just not aware of what you don't know. And the world's changing at such a rapid pace. We're in the technology world. And I still, you know, have engineers show us new things on new projects and I'll say, you know, let's just use this to, you know, automatically read all the credit cards. We'll use this OCR. We've used it on the last 20 projects. It works great. And they go, yeah, but this new company came out and they do it with this technology and it's a third of the price, same outcome, you know, but you just get so used to patterns and routines. And I think, you know, that's what's most exciting about what you guys do with 3D printing offers. It's that iteration and experimentation at a lower cost. And hopefully that just starts to broaden businesses' minds into, you know, where they should experiment. And, and at least my myself, I'm more of a hands-on experimenter. So I can research and find areas to move. But once you get in there, like you said, you know, you started doing animal prosthetics. Round one, 14 hours. Round two, 12 hours. Round five, 10. And each time it's like a game of, of how you can identify, you know, more yield in that process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so another, you know, challenge that we deal with sometimes is um, uh, manufacturers, businesses that are, uh, they're making a part that maybe they can't make it anymore. So they say, all right, well, you know, apparently 3D printing can solve every problem and do anything. So, you know, can you just make our part? Uh, that, that can be a challenge sometimes because that original part was designed to the, the spec of a different production process. Uh, so there is a bit of a learning curve in saying, all right, well, you know, what is the purpose of this part? How do we maintain that functionality, but design for a new process? And sometimes that's hard for, uh, companies to, you know, it, it doesn't sit so well with them because it takes changing the part that has been working. They just can't get it anymore so you know despite the fact that it could even be optimized made to be a better part uh, we do see that challenge 
Um, but it, you know, for, for us, that's just part of the process. It's, you know, taking something that exists and, you know, the constraints of the old process and updating it for what's possible now, making it better, designing for the new technologies. I mean, there's so many products that they look a certain way just because that was the only way to make them. You know, you had to, I don't know, carve it out a certain way. You had to mold it a certain way. Well, you know, a lot of those yeah. constraints are gone, so we can make things so much more efficient. Exactly. And I think obviously we have some listeners, some people watching the video, but the wheel that you brought out previously is probably like a good example of that or an analogy that we could use, right? Where a company might come and say, I just need the spokes, right? Of the wheel. Right. And you're like, I can't 3D print the spokes to go into a metal wheel, but let's reimagine the function of that wheel. And through that process, you got a better outcome, right? A wheel that you could literally compress probably won't pop you know, as frequently, it's a hard cutted wheel, right? So there's all these new benefits, but you do have to go through that process and, you know, allocate the proper time and resources to come to a new outcome versus like we, what we like to call a transactional outcome. I just want this thing versus let's look at the whole experience and, and see how to redefine every aspect versus just one component. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's very cool. So uh, what other, do you guys have your ideas in any other businesses? How do you go about making sure you keep dive design what it is and you don't end up with 47 companies that you're working on more than the core business? I'd say, you know, what we've been finding a lot of is, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of work in partnerships, right? Because it takes a lot, obviously, to, to start a business and maintain it and run it and staff and whatnot. But, um, there are many businesses in different industries that are, you know, experts in, in their own domain and uh, as are we in our own. So, you know, we're finding that that we're partnering with businesses in, in new ways to make new products and, and leverage each other's strengths and weaknesses. Uh, you know, there's companies that are, for example, in the education space that we're working with. Uh, they're looking to bring education to uh, or 3D printing to the education and obviously we do a lot of 3d printing so in you know finding a lot of creative ways to work with them and get new technologies out to, to students because the students then graduate and bring the technologies to the different businesses so uh we've we've really enjoyed the past six months building these relationships beyond just the conventional consulting model uh with the businesses in different industries everything from medical to education to uh, even even furniture now um you know we don't do too much uh production but when it comes to something like a, a business we're, we're partnering with and, you know, absolutely will help to set up that, that production process and, and maintain and, and help to grow it. Um, and we're finding a much better balance there than, you know, every time a, a new opportunity comes up starting a, a completely fresh business, but you know, yes. we have some of those as well. No, it's very true. I think a lot of people don't recognize the value of partnerships uh, and they've really transpired, you know, in the last three to five years as being something that customers want to see. Right. You're, there's no longer companies that say we do it all. And then now everybody looks yeah, at you as an expert. Absolutely. More people want you to know your core competency. And more important, when you work with partners, you save yourself, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of expertise that you require to move into that market because they have it. But you have your component, right? That's going to let you drive the process. It was a hard lesson, you know, for us to learn in the beginning. We would do. Uh, mobile apps, e-commerce websites, right? You're just spread across the gauntlet and we have all those capabilities. It's not that we can't execute. It's just, do you want to go, you know, wide or do you want to go narrow? And now Thank the markets you. respect companies that go narrow, uh, but show partnerships that you Yes. Can. I mean, we even yeah. have, you know, could Apple and Google work together now and five, 10 years ago, no, <laughs> they would be fighting wars over, you know, market share. 
Yep. Absolutely. I know. And it's very interesting too. We, we've had this conversation with clients and they're like, oh, that's fantastic. So you not only have this expertise, but you're bringing in somebody that you've worked with on numerous occasions that specializes in this and they're very okay with it. In fact, they prefer it because it doesn't seem like you're trying to spread yourself too thin and trying to accomplish everything. So yeah, we've seen a lot of success with that. And you know, you guys mentioned it earlier, you really have to just continue to adopt and change the business uh, as time goes on, as technology evolves. And that's something that is really in our core and our ethos. 100%. No, I think it's just a very interesting business. I'm excited to keep following your guys' journey. I think, you know, a good spot to kind of start to head towards the end here is just where do you guys, where would you like to see yourself? I know we covered around, you want to help drive adoption in the industry, right? But if there was one particular industry that your business would grow within one particular client, you know, what is that vision that you see? And, and what do you think would be, you know, the most fun ride in the next three to five years for you guys? One of the conversations Adam and I have had a number of times is just having um, a number of facilities that allow companies who offer the technology and materials to showcase their technology and materials that allow us to bring in clients who want to get into the space to experiment to see to try in an unbiased way and just be creative and, and uncover new ways of doing things um, and in the same light helping the, the technology companies to better understand how to market and better understand how to capture new audiences yeah, I think, I think that nails it. I mean, you know, we're not very specific to one industry other than additive manufacturing. Yeah. I mean, it translates so well to whether it's industrial or medical or education, you know, it's the same process. It's the same tools and technologies, just different constraints. So, uh, you know, we're really excited about the idea of just having centralized locations where people can come in and, and do their own experiments. You know, right now it's a lot of uh, it's a very fragmented process where a company uh, that internally wants to explore 3D printing, well, they have to get parts from this company and that company and samples here and quotes here and then piece it all together themselves. Where we want to say, hey, just come in, uh, bring your constraints, bring your your problems, your products, and you know that we have all the machines, we have all the technologies, and let's figure it out in a week rather than you know six months. Uh, so we want to make it more efficient uh, to access new technologies. Obviously, right now it's hard when every company has their own bias and their own location. So we're just trying to lower those barriers. We had a company call us uh, early last week, and he and the, the salesperson was saying we're the largest 3D printing or added manufacturing showroom on the East Coast. And I was like, "What? What do you mean by that?" And he goes, "Well, we actually sell and re or we're a reseller for these six machines." And I was like, "So you only sell these six machines? Your your showroom for six machines that you sell, that you market, that you distribute?" Yes. All right. So you're not so much a showroom as, as you are a distributor for these. So it's just funny to have those conversations and know that we really need to remain unbiased and, and just be that source where people can come and, and not feel like they're going to be bombarded with salespeople. No, it's true. And I think that's what a lot of customers you know look for. And obviously we try to do our best and that a lot of businesses do, but that same constraint of, you know, not going too wide again. And now you're offering 250 different machines, right? You kind of want to know what's the best in each category, yeah, but all of that's a, you know, difficult balance, I think for any business. And of course, for customers looking to work with businesses, but I'm sure you guys are you know going to have a great journey. You're well on your way and uh, we're going to love following some more of these products. We'll definitely have to get you back on in the future, but 
just wanted to glad we finally got it to happen. Yeah. You know, I had some rescheduling. <laughs> you guys had some rescheduling. Uh, so it was, it was great to have you guys on. And with that, I'd like, you know, just to kind of end here, give you a chance to just let people know where to find you guys, you know, your website, social, how to reach out, consultations, whatever you'd like to kind of plug in here and make sure our audience, you know, has the best way to reach you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having us on. This was um, really great. Awesome, awesome questions. We appreciate the plugs, the numerous, numerous plugs. Uh, <laughs> grateful for that. Um, if your pet needs a prosthetic or a device, please uh, email info at 3dpetsprosthetics.com. We'd like to start with that. Um, if you guys want to get into additive manufacturing or interested in talking to us, learning a little bit more or need help marketing your technologies, email us at info at divedesignco.com. And obviously you can check out our site and some of our projects and clients at uh, divedesignco.com. Awesome, guys. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I really appreciate your time and hopefully a few more people left today with a whole new interest in 3D printing. Yeah, we hope so. Well, thank you awesome, guys. guys. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. You got it. Have a great night, everyone. We'll talk All to right, you guys, guys soon. Take care. Bye.